because I'd heard loads of you know, reports from around our area of big cats around, but never ever seen one of these beasts myself. So it was like, oh, I've seen one of the big cats at last. Seeing is believing, and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 58 of Big Cat Conversations. We're coming to you in late August 2021, and this happens to be the second birthday of the podcast. We're delighted to have got this far and to have such a supportive community being part of the show. So thanks to all listeners wherever you are across the world. And for this episode, perhaps it's fitting that we're back at home base in Gloucestershire in southwest England, where we produce the show. Having said that, our guest Tom has moved away and now lives in Somerset, but we're going to relive a couple of incidents Tom experienced just a few years back when he resided near Stroud in Gloucestershire. So Tom, welcome along. Thank you, Rick. I'd like to thank you for having me on the podcast and happy birthday. Thank you very much indeed. We'll we'll enjoy <laughs> it. We'll make the most of it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Great. No pressure. No. <laughs> Tom, I'm speaking for, for colleagues here in Gloucestershire. We miss you as part of the network here because we enjoyed having you thank around. Thank you. Yes. But I know you join in the email discussion sometimes. I do indeed. Yeah, and we have some polite, if not robust, arguments sometimes, but that's that shows we're being objective. Yes, there are some back and forth, should we say. But it shows that we take the subject seriously and we, we don't fall out, we just justify our position. And that's all trying to be objective, which is how it should be. So Exactly, and I think that's how you actually get to the crux of the matter anyway. Yeah, sure, if we ever can. If we ever can, yeah, quite right. Now, Tom... I know you are fully immersed in the subject of big cats now. I am. Yeah. Could you remind me and tell listeners how you got involved in the first place? Yes. So between the ages of 10 and 12, my biological father was very much interested in big cats. And at that stage, it was only newspaper articles and word of mouth and so him and a couple of friends took a range rover down to the countryside i think it was probably devon and it was an area which was a particular hot spot and they took a pretty top-notch camera at the time and they went there during the day but with the view to stay the night and they found what they thought was a den they got quite deep into this den and people being people and it being dark they did worry themselves a little bit, um, <laughs> let's say. Hairs on the back of the neck kind of thing. And um, they ended up, all of them, running out of there in the end. Some of the footage was quite interesting. I haven't seen it for many years. They didn't actually catch anything specific, although they thought they may have seen a print or two. Um, and they did certainly find kills, animal remains. And it was in a very specific area where they had had information. Now, when I heard this as a child, my mum, on the other hand, she was a somewhat a skeptic. She was uh, a businesswoman who owned her own company, a rather large company that she set up herself. And so she's 
you know, a hard-nosed businesswoman and didn't really veer in the way of something that couldn't be pinned down by evidence. So I was stuck in the middle somewhat. By the end of that, say within a few years um, of having a minor intrigue, I'd settled my mind that, yeah, potentially they could be there, but I'm not absolutely sure. And then many years onwards, up until this first sighting, I genuinely didn't think much more of it. Okay, so it was your dad's first time at it. He had a bit of beginner's luck, but he was tipped off of a place to go, and he, he thought he might have found some evidence of sorts anyway. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. And it was in Stroud you came up with uh, your own surprise encounter early one morning waiting for the bus near Stroud Town Centre. So tell us all about it. Yeah, I did. It was early one morning, about 6.30. It was a number of years ago now. Winter, winter winter-esque time. I was standing there waiting to go to work with a colleague of mine. Um, He was in his 50s. He went to Oxford University. I only say this because he was um, like a, a sensible chap. He was standing there and he said to me, he said to me, Tom, Tom, look behind you. There's a cat crossing the road. And he said it to me (laughs) in quite a strange way. And I thought to myself, I thought, that's a strange thing to say because cats cross the road all the time. Um, And that happened all in a split second. So nonetheless, I turned around and literally seven meters maximum from me there was a cat without a doubt i mean i've I've been to kenya on holiday uh for three weeks i've seen wild leopards now this animal was no domestic cat my mind did do the usual oh my gosh what is this badger fox uh deer dog none of them clicked none of them at all it was like something out of almost the jungle book but brought to life. It moved majestically, like something that I'd never seen in the UK before. It was absolutely beautiful. And anyway, it was, so, like I said, larger than a Labrador, but something that really stood out, it was the tail. The tail, it was nearly the length of its body. And it was, it curled up at the end like a hockey stick. And as the animal moved across the road, as we both turned around, it moved across the actual crossing. There's a crossing there in the town centre. Stroud itself is very rural and you can be in the town centre and then you can walk five minutes in most directions and you can be in the middle of a field, depending on where you are. This animal was an absolute shock. When we turned around, and it noticed us, it then very quickly lowered itself to the ground, carried on crossing the road at a much greater speed. There's a bank on the other side of the road, and it it literally, like, it, it almost immersed itself with the bank as it followed the bank up and then disappeared off into the distance. So, I mean, the, the sighting itself only lasted between... I'd say anything between five and ten seconds, but it was it was clear as day. My colleague was absolutely sure as well. And funny enough, Rick, if you remember at the time, being at a set of lights, there are obviously cameras there. 
So we contacted the company who run the cameras and it turns out after much deliberation on their end that they had captured this animal on the cameras and it was clear they said their their own words sorry um, although I've already used them was again clear as day but once it got to their management level they then decided they were not prepared to release these images which is a huge shame because I was going to work um, at the time I wasn't driving I have been since, which you will find out in my second sighting, which uh, which obviously I was incredibly lucky to have um, even one. So I got on the bus and we left and I was so enthralled that I spent that entire bus journey researching it. And in researching it, I found out that Stroud itself is a particular hotspot in the UK. These animals do live all across the UK black leopard types and pumas and a very small percentage of lynx. But Stroud itself is a particular hotspot. The location, I mean, the sightings all around the Stroud Valleys, which is a very sort of higgledy-piggledy, hilly landscape where houses mix with commons and woodlands and things, so people do have a chance of seeing them, even in or adjacent to their gardens sometimes. But The amazing thing was you saw one right by the town centre shops. Right by the town centre. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be full of traffic and very bustling in daylight hours and office hours. But, of course, this was early in the morning before there was much about, presumably. There was the odd car here or there which would turn around at the roundabout in front near the old police station. But other than that, there were no other cars. And um, I think that is why the animal was there. But the area that the animal came from was, so the other side of the road, there is a um, shrubbery area. I think there's a bench there as well. And it's quite enclosed. It's quite enclosed. And there's um, a few bushes, um, plants, that sort of thing. And then just further behind there, there's, well, the back of shops, the back of uh, takeaways, to be more precise. And obviously, the smell of the food that's left over in the bins there. There's these enormous bins that are outside. And it, me standing there in the morning, you can smell them. So uh, a cat with all their senses. So it makes sense that the animal was there. But there was also a water duct, like a tunnel, basically, which led out to uh, one of the fields right on the outskirts and potentially this animal would use this duct this tunnel to get into town safely to be able to look around this area am i right in thinking you felt probably the cat had gone up onto the road to go over it and then was probably going back in it when it could do it couldn't get in the culvert part of it under the road perhaps if it was using that watercourse Exactly. Yes, that's exactly what I felt. Yeah. At the time, unfortunately, I wish I had, um, but obviously I was was on the way to work. So I got on the bus um, as excited as I was. I mean, it absolutely changed my life. In many regards, it did. It's one of those situations which really opens your mind up. Mm. But back, back to the actual point, Yeah, I had to get back onto the bus, so I wish I'd been able to go over to the bank at the time where the animal had ran up 
the bank and disappeared because that's also where I got a fantastic view of its tail because its tail, as it ran up the bank, the tail came right out the back and was nearly touching the floor but just curling up at the end. I think if I'd gone over then and looked for prints, there would have been, there, without a doubt, there would have been prints. But I went back after work to look for them. And obviously people had been walking over it all day long. So it was nigh on impossible to find them, if any were even there. Yeah, yeah. The meat smell is a good theory. I, we've had other people. I know that uh, Nigel Spencer, who we heard from Leicestershire on this podcast in one of the early episodes, he's had reports from the back of takeaway places on the outskirts of Leicester in the past where there's been meat smells. We've had the same in Gloucestershire. In fact, two of the burger van laybys on the edges of Stroud have had sightings around them. One uh, night, Frank Tunbridge and one of the other investigators spent sitting out in the car uh, late at night, you know, after a sighting behind it when it had closed down. So, yeah, the, you, you're right. It may well be an attractant, and, and why not? And I know that some people have felt if you're going camping and you want to set up trail cameras, have a late barbecue and then set up your trail cameras and see what yeah, that attracts. As, as bait. Yeah, absolutely. And and funny enough that you actually bring up Frank. Once I um, bought your book and then read it, I then obviously got in touch with yourself um, to explain the sighting and start to learn an awful lot more about these animals. I mean, there is absolutely no question that they are here, without a doubt. The last thing that crossed my mind when I saw that animal in such a short space of time, what did I say, five to ten seconds, was to take my phone out of my pocket and take a picture. My mind was still catching up with what I was actually seeing. There was no way on this earth that I was able to then think, all oh, right, okay, on top of my mind trying to catch up with what, what I'm visually seeing here, am I then also going to be able to take out my phone and take a snap of it? And even if I had got my phone out and got it onto the take a snap section at the time, phone, phones have improved, there's no way I would have got a shot. Absolutely no way. Why did you say that? Because of uh, overall excitement, because of the speed of the animal itself, there's no way I would have been able to zoom in. It was moving the entire time. And as soon as we turned around and saw the animal, it noted, it was aware that it was being watched and it sped up. It moved on. It was like, right, I've been spotted. I don't want to be seen. You know, let's get out of here. I wouldn't have been able to get a shot. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. But like we say, it was actually caught on camera by the um, CCTV images at the traffic lights. We contacted them. They actually confirmed that the animal was caught on camera, like I mentioned earlier. But unfortunately, the, um, the management then decided not to release the image. So that would have been an absolutely cast iron proof. Not that we necessarily want the proof out there, um, but it would have been proof nonetheless that they are there. I mentioned last episode to Lar in Ireland that I'd heard of two CCTV incidents where they hadn't been released by big companies. Those were reports to me by the security people involved uh, when they visited the rural shows. And we yeah. know the recent dashcam footage of one chasing a muntjac. And that wasn't released by the company. So this is another one. 
But again, I think rather than cursing the the companies involved, I think we can understand. You know, why why would they be the ones who want to break the news and be the owner of the of the topic? Because it's damned awkward for them. Absolutely, and in business myself, and um, having many friends uh, who own businesses and family, and I, I totally understand why why you wouldn't want to why you, why you would prefer to brush that under the carpet because it's unwanted publicity. There's no upside, really, as far as they're aware, you know? Yeah, yeah, I quite agree. It's quite understandable, but as frustrating as it is in in a way. But can we get back to your observation of it? How would you summarise its attitude and its health and its demeanour? Did it look fit, wild and confident, basically? And, and, And what else did you notice about it? This is an interesting one because it certainly looked fit, um, and wild, without a doubt wild. Um, so it looked fit and wild. But having spoken to, as I mentioned earlier, Frank Tunbridge, what we believe now is it was a female black leopard because it wasn't a large tom. It wasn't a huge, like, it wasn't one of the leopards that you would predominantly see in a zoo. It was slightly smaller, certainly larger than a Labrador, certainly not a domestic cat in any shape or form but smaller than a tom leopard so so it was a little bit thinner it was the way that it moved as well it was the dimensions of the tail it moved like nothing that i have ever seen in the british countryside in person or on youtube or on uh, discovery channel or anything like that it clearly knew what it was doing. It used the bank to its advantage. Everything it used to its advantage, even even the shadowing, even the shadowing, as it made its way through the crossing, where the shadows were, it linked around the shadows without even thinking. It was second nature. It was clearly an animal that was in tune within its environment, which is an odd thing to say, being in a, in a town centre. It just means that wherever you put that animal, it is going to use every element of its environment, aspects that human beings wouldn't even necessarily consider. Yeah, inherent stealth. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, quite right. So it may well have used that route before. The CCTV footage of domestic properties or residential properties or private companies' footage is often not looked at because there's no need to spend ages reviewing it. So they may have had it on CCTV at other times and never been asked to review a certain time when they might have had something on. So who knows? Yeah, absolutely. The colour, Tom, how would you describe the colour of it? Black, absolutely, yeah, jet black completely jet black there was no other no other colorings that i could see and fur wise it wasn't bushy at all it was quite sort of uh i'd say um what's the best way of describing it kept it was quite kept okay of course we are you are making a one thing we've got to be careful is we that we don't sort of have a standard yardstick for a male and female leopard. I, I to some extent, I'm contradicting myself because I tend to do that. I tend to think if somebody says, oh, it was like a stretched Labrador, that's more likely to be an adult female. And if somebody says it was like a German Shepherd, only a bit longer, I tend to think, oh, that's the Tom. But again, that we, we've got to be careful that we don't always say it's that's the template. Yeah. Could be a young male. Yeah, exactly. Or or just a smaller male, you know, that, that hasn't evolved to be quite as big because they're going to adapt. They're not all going to be the same profile. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so a, a black leopard as far as you could tell, and you were close enough for not to be mistaken, and a second witness, you would say, presumably. Oh, absolutely. We both agreed. We were, well, we were both absolutely in awe. Um, and, and at seven metres, although it was dark, um, I mean, it was still lit up. You know, you, you could clearly see. It wasn't, it was far from pitch black. No, there was no doubt in either, our, either of our minds. I mean, we, we questioned every possibility. Every single time we came back to that is exactly what it was. Yeah. And your emotions, you said you were in awe. What did it make you think about these cats that are out there having, having had that close encounter? Well, it's kind of, it's, it's almost transferable because when you see something like that, that you didn't think was necessarily there or hadn't crossed your mind, it's transferable you think to yourself that that animal is not there and then you see this animal and it is there without a shadow of a doubt. Sorry, you mean transformational? Is that what you mean? No, no, no. Uh, Transformational is a word, but uh, transferable because separately to the actual animal itself, it opens your mind up. You think, well, in this day and age with cameras everywhere, that you they'd be seen now when you see an animal like that and it hasn't been seen before and then you see it it makes you think what else about this big wide world don't i know you know it opens your mind up got you yeah yeah that's that's what i mean about transferable but it was yeah transformative as well very much so um it opened up the british countryside to me in a huge way i mean uh, a walk in the woods has never been the same again since there's no no element of fear whatsoever don't get me wrong i wouldn't like to corner one of these animals or catch it unawares but there's no fear at all because having researched it now, they haven't. They have no issue with human beings. They will not attack a human being unless, unless on a very rare occasion they are injured, which is then uh, largely self-imposed by uh, human beings themselves. Not always, but largely. Or if they are very old and hungry. But if they're very old and hungry, then they tend to take things like livestock or they live off other carcasses, and then they end up dying. Or, or go fishing in somebody's koi carp lake, which we had at uh, one's situation. Yeah, I think I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very resourceful. They'll adapt as they need to. You're right. It's all about survival. So the last thing, if you're an animal like that, the last thing that you'd want to do is put yourself in a situation when survival is the number one. The last thing you want to do is put yourself in a situation where you could get injured. A small injury, um, an injury that we could go to the NHS for and get patched up and get on with our daily lives. An injury like that, they don't have an NHS. That could be game over for that animal. They're not prepared to risk it. And you saw that because it was going about its business and it didn't want to divert. Obviously, it registered the fact you were there, but didn't want to divert to hassle you and it didn't want any hassle from you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The events afterwards, obviously you got the frustration of knowing that the CCTV footage uh, had not been released and wasn't going to be released. Then you became even more active. You already started to get interested in wanting to network with the investigators in Gloucestershire and then it became you became more active as a result of that. Is that right? I did. Yeah, correct. Correct. I got in touch with yourself and then various other investigators and 
I would um, drive around to various hotspots. I'd ask um, about areas where cats were seen quite often and I would go and look at those areas often after work. Once or twice a week, I'd drag my girlfriend along who claimed to be interested at the time, but she would bring it up once or twice when she wasn't so happy. So I wonder if it's a mixed bag there. But nonetheless, yeah, she did come along. And and we both had a great, great fun. I, I did find along the way a number of things, actually. I found what I felt was scat, their poo, for want of a better word. Also, I found scrape marks. I believe a number of them were actually just, just part of the tree, vines, things like that. But I've seen a few more since which are more suspect um, and would lead towards it being um, an animal. Yeah, so it got you hooked into looking for the signs of them. Very much so, very much so. And there was there was one other instant as well where there was a deer. There's a piece of land in Gloucestershire where a woman would go walking at 9.30 in the evening. It was in the summer and she'd walk the same way, same path. And um, on her walk back at about 10 o'clock, it was absolutely clear. The following morning at 5.30 in the morning, she walked the same path back and she found right in front of her, in the depths of these uh, woods, she found a large deer that had been taken down and killed. Now, I was alerted to this situation via, I believe, yourself and Frank Tunbridge. And I drove down there again with uh, another investigator. When we got there, I met with the landowner and um, we got on quite well. He was quite amicable and he was quite a good tracker. And he actually showed me where further up the bank, a good 30 metres, where the deer had been taken down and had rolled and fought back and then rolled further. And then right, right near the spot it was left to lay had been held and choked to, uh, you know, you know, finished off, as it were. That was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Did we put trail cameras up in that uh, location? I can't remember that one because obviously I, w- I wasn't directly involved. In those woods, there are cameras up anyway. I mean, it's a huge area and there's about 10 cameras up. So it's still, it's, it's a needle in a haystack thing still. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, well, there you are. I mean, seeing that kind of incident, seeing when you can see the how things unfold, it really shows you predator-prey events happening in your local countryside. And again, using that word transformational, uh, you know, to, to think that that yes. is happening here in Britain without most of us realising is incredible, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And and there was one other thing um, to add to that actual story. I, I um, That situation, I should say, I actually believe that the animal was not too far away because after having the kill and feeding um, on the animal, I believe the animal would have been close by. It could have been within a mile, hmm. um, but I believe it would have sat up somewhere. And I to this day that I had looked further but my partner at the time um, who was pregnant was not feeling too good she put her foot down in the end and we weren't able to if recent deer kills are found I mean very recent I think it's prudent to look closer uh, up trees in the surrounding area because there's a good chance that the animal that did it is nearby digesting the food 
the issue, of course, here in Britain is that prey is so abundant, they don't need to hang around like they do in some of their native countries where prey is hard won. So they do hang around more to prevent scavenging or to get there again before scavengers might do. Uh, so they're a bit more protective and they don't move so far from from the prey item once they've had their first sort of gorge at it. You know, who knows what's going on here? I think it's then it's not quite such a defended item or, or a valued item in the prey base in Britain because prey is so abundant. They are the absolute apex, aren't they here? Yeah, but of course there's plenty of scavengers, but they can they can easily get something in three or four days' time the next time they do want a second um, go at something. So the second go at something may just be kill something else, kill another muntjac deer, kill another yearling roe deer or whatever, or Quite some right. rabbit rabbits rather than return to that carcass that may be four-fifths gone and only the gnarly bits left. But I think you're right in general. Once we find a potential carcass of potential prey we need to investigate it and analyze it and put trail cameras on possibly but let me tell you an incident that happened in january this year i don't think i mentioned this on the podcast i'm not going to be specific about the location a farmer and his son and his grandson in gloucestershire were out walking on their land and they saw what they thought was a black bin liner Many people have seen black bin liners, you know, and they've turned into big cats, and this one did. Yes. Oh, wow. Not the grandfather, but the father of the three went closer to examine it. It started walking away, and they were very, all very sure it was a black panther that they'd seen, and they were astonished because there was no local uh, context for big cat sightings. I think they knew in general that there were big cat sightings around but not right on their doorstep and on their land. Now, about two days later, they found a deer carcass in a wood uh, on their land quite close to the farmhouse and thought, this has to be the big cat's work that we saw the other day. And it hadn't been consumed, but it had been dispatched, it seemed, uh, and it was a fresh, seemed to be a fresh kill. So they were deer stalkers themselves, and they had 12 trail cameras across the land, uh, because they used to monitor the deer on their land, or they do monitor the deer on their land. You would have thought 12 trail cameras on a smallish medium farm might have... Would be enough. Yeah. Yeah, it would potentially be enough. Yeah, absolutely nothing on it, including one of those trail cameras in that copse, and it wasn't a big wood, it was a copse where the deer carcass was, uh, but absolutely nothing, no sign of it. So It just goes to show you... Yeah, and it's the sort of location where I would have wanted to go there, meet them, keep in touch with them. And if they have said anyway, any other news, and they'll keep me posted, of course, which is lovely. All I would have wanted to do was put a few trail cameras up, really, other than check for signs. But it was a bit too late when I got to hear about it to check for signs. But with those trail cameras up, I thought, right, job done. But there we go, nothing. And in fact, it reminds me to say that here in Gloucestershire, I mentioned last episode, the end of last episode, we've had at least six, I think actually seven reports, credible reports, in the last six weeks. Different areas, including different parts of the Stroud Valleys area and a couple of other locations in Gloucestershire, all with a history of sightings, all with new informants, new witnesses turning up saying, we've seen, and they were all Black Panthers. 
amongst six or seven reports, you would expect one or two tan colour puma type reports and maybe a lynx report, but they're all black panther types. And I spoke to one of the witnesses. He saw it absolutely right in front of his car as he drove up to it because it was on a farm track. Wow. He thought it was a hole, a black hold all, he said, that had been dumped or left on this farm track as he drove away from um, scoping out a building piece of work that he had to do there. He said as he got closer, this huge black panther sat up and went went in profile and realised it had to get out of the way and leapt the fence. And he said it was shocking, astonishing, amazing, nothing else but a black panther, as he called it. And I happen to have five trail cameras on that farm. My gosh. Two of them are within four or 500 metres of that location. And there was a report last year on that farm as well closer to another trail camera elsewhere on that farm but there you are uh, five trail cameras on that farm has produced nothing yet we know there's been three sightings on that farm in the last 12 months and of course it may have been around more but and both the two this summer that that just happened in the last month they've been people who knew nothing about big cats one of them was a foreign gentleman who knew nothing about the history of big cats in britain so it was a complete shock to him and he looked online to see what it was all about then he went to tell the farmer and said i saw this happen on your land i've looked up on the internet to see that you do get big cat sightings and indeed i've seen one and there we are we were ready and waiting with the cameras but nothing so it just goes to show you rick that even though there are a lot of people out there now with cameras with dash cams and trail cams that although there's many out there it really really is a very difficult thing to find them you have to be absolutely precise i mean and and of course people who are very interested in the subject look at the area and they tend to have a good sense of how these animals move like you say the camera could be literally meters away and still not catch still not catch the creature yeah, yeah. Uh, and in fact, the one, the actual precise location where this one that was originally thought to be a black hold all on the track, we would like to put a camera there. It is very public. He was very lucky to see it in daytime. It was one thirty, you know, in late July. If we put a trail camera precisely there, A, it may not come precisely there again because there are other options along that track. But say it did, we would also catch lots and lots of walkers and it might be prone to theft. But also the farm family feel it is just a little bit too invasive. Although it would be camouflaged, not many people would see the camera. It's not where that farm business wants to put a trail camera. So we investigate this subject with our hands tied behind our back a bit because of the restrictions. Anyway, let's move on to your second uh, incident, if if we could. So the second instance was between uh, Cheltenham and Stroud itself. And I was driving home from work. I'd finished relatively early that day. So it must have been about five o'clock. And I was driving up these windy roads in the Cotswolds. And uh, it was near this old disused quarry, which looked like an absolute perfect place for them to be. Now, I was driving along. And it was the second car in front of me screeched to a halt due to the fact that this large black cat ran in front of the road. It was coming upwards, not down because it was on the edge. It was uh, on this sort of uh, hillside almost. 
just for listeners, this is the edge of the Cotswolds. This is where you come out of Gloucester and Cheltenham area and you take the road to Stroud. You go past an area. Prinage Abbey actually is signed. Yes. Near there. And it is actually, you are winding up the slope, the scarp slope of the Cotswolds. Real Cotswold edgeway with woodlands and quarries and... Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, there are. It, it's quite wild there. It's quite wild for sure. And yeah, so, so so this this animal jumped out in front of the car, and fortunately the car wasn't going quick enough where it wasn't able to stop. But it did screech to a stop, and the animal stopped dead, turned around, and dashed back down the way it came. Now. I was absolutely shocked again because um, having had that sighting, I thought, wow, that was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, I've got involved, and um, but I didn't ever expect to see another one. Anyway, so this animal disappeared again and we carried on driving. Um, we got to Painswick and we got to the lights in Painswick, which was about 10 minutes down the road. And the lights stopped there and they're quite infamous, shall I say, lights um, because they stop and hold you up for quite a while. And so I thought, sod it, right, I'm going to get out the car and go and speak to the driver in front. Um, This wasn't the driver that stopped uh, with the animal right in front of it. That that actual car had taken um, a detour and gone off uh, one of the other roads. So I got out the car and spoke to him and I said, what did you just see? And he said, an enormous cat, a huge cat. And I said, that was... That certainly was not a domestic cat. And he agreed with me wholeheartedly. He said, I could not believe it. And then the lights changed. And I thought, oh, gosh, right. OK, so we better better get back in our cars. And um, and we did. And we carried on. And, um, and, and that was that, really. But to have confirmation and corroboration by somebody else. Yeah. So he was in the car directly in front of you. You were the third one. Exactly. You've got it. I was the third. He was the one directly in front of me. And um, so he got he got an even better view. He was very sure that this was not a domestic cat and it was a very large black cat. We saw elements of the tail, which were very long. We saw that it was big. It was black and it moved in a way which definitely outruled a domestic cat because a domestic cat would have been more edgy about it i suppose now this cat wasn't like that it knew exactly what it was doing it realized oh gosh right i've made a mistake here but it turned on its heels and disappeared and yeah as i say the um the car in front confirmed that this is exactly what i had seen as well yeah how good that you got a chance to have that chat with a fellow car driver because you do sometimes get witnesses who say i was in a traffic queue other drivers must have seen it or sometimes people say that they put a thumbs up or a wow signal through the window to another driver as they passed you had a chance to confer directly so well done that must have been a huge matter of relief Uh, it was actually it was i mean i i was absolutely sure what i'd seen it was clear it was clear but it was nice to have that um to have that confirmation as well it did make a difference How would you relate that one to the Stroud Centre one that you saw? Bigger, smaller, different in any way, same colour, tone, same length of tail or what? Yeah, I would say it was very similar. It was very similar, maybe even slightly larger. Although the distance was a little bit further along, um, I'd say it was larger. 
but all the same characteristics, same movement, same size, same color, same tail, everything else um, tallied up to the first sighting as well. Okay, and that is, in fact, Tom, I think you know this, but it is a hotspot that we've had Frank Tunbridge, myself, other people have had reports there going back many years. In fact, I've had one almost probably precisely where you're talking about. At one rural show, had a, a, a gentleman come in and said he'd seen a tan-coloured mountain lion puma cougar type there. Wow, wow. And he said the road snakes up, you know, Cooper's Hill towards Printage Abbey. Yep. He said, I looked up, uh, fitted a mountain lion, but mainly blacks. You know, I've had several blacks, so has Frank. Frank himself saw one closer to the pub at the top of the road, probably about a mile further along. Yeah, I, I've pulled up there before to have a look around, actually. Frank years ago had one that he said was probably a little tiny bit smaller than a Labrador, but still a huge, you know, deer-killing size black panther yes. cat. And in fact, Tim Whittard, based in Gloucestershire, who is a friend of this show and we've had on the show before, he had one of his um, colleagues reported one to him that he relayed to me and Frank a couple of months ago now. And that was by the pub. And that person didn't know Frank's sighting. And again, that was a, a small black Labrador type size cat. Panther. So it's even suggestive, Rick, um, that this area being a hotspot, that the, the, the these cats that have been spotted in this same area aren't necessarily the same animal. There are more than one in that area. Yeah, over the years, you know, another generation on perhaps now as well from those earlier sightings. Of course. Uh, and it even took me to not too long afterwards, we then decided to go, uh, my partner and I at the time, yeah, we pulled up at the old quarry as well, um, which was a little bit further back. And we walked up the quarry. There was a section which was a little bit sketchy, um, but we walked up this section. We then got to the top um, and it looked, I mean, prime location for any animal to um, hide away without having any uh, disturbance by anyone, really. Once we got to the top, a bit further along, there were kind of fields and uh, woodland and we bumped into a number of people i mean i i quite openly speak to people about this because i know what i saw and um i i have no fear of people judging i just i just see it that they've lived their lives in a certain way and they may not have seen these animals and out of the people that i've spoken to other than a few who dismiss it offhand the vast majority actually say if they haven't seen one themselves, they do then recount a tale of a family member or a close friend who has seen a very similar animal themselves. Not just in that area, but all over Gloucestershire. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people just waiting to be asked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're quite right. I tend to pick my moments for those kinds of conversations. And, and sometimes I, I sort of start by talking about unusual animals rather than panthers or big cats. But some people get the message. They say, what, you mean big cats? Yes, yes. <laughs> then, then we know we've got a conversation. But yeah, as for the quarry, yes, Jonathan McGowan, Jonathan would say when we were doing the rounds of places to go and investigate, that quarry was first on his list every time. Was it really? I did not know that. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. No, I think to any big cat investigator, that quarry, it something about it senses... It ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? And it does, yeah, it does feel very catty. You're right. I mean, as we were walking through, funny enough, this isn't necessarily sightings, but and obviously your mind at that stage when it's not a definitive sighting can play tricks on you and you're aware of that. 
but we felt we did feel that we were being watched at one stage and we also felt that we saw movement in certain areas up there yet yeah, it seems very catty as you say yeah there's all kinds of scrub and um there'd, there'd be a rabbit around there at any time you'd like for a big cat and uh, all Easily. kinds of bedding yeah bedding areas nooks and crannies you do have to be careful i took my dog there last summer with my son on an evening walk and the first time i've been there with my current dog and he's quite a lively labrador and suddenly i realized i'd forgotten there are some pretty dramatic cliff edges basically yes there are i just had to withdraw and put him on the leash and be very careful and cautious afterwards because he'd be a goner if he chased after a deer or wasn't concentrating absolutely Sheer, you know, real sheer cliff edges with d- deep drops. So many listeners will know of old old quarries are great places to explore, whatever your interest, for just fascinating places of uh, all kinds of historic and, and, of course, wonderful for wildlife because they're very infertile. So you've got lots of emergent plants growing up which uh, aren't competing with other plants. So v- very good botanically, some of them. Exactly. And also, as, as you mentioned, the way that these... Um these sort of cliff drops um it's very difficult for a dog to traverse it wouldn't be so difficult for a big cat to traverse a territory like that you know they'd be able to jump down that no problem yeah their locomotion climbing and leaping power it's all part of what their beat would be able to do yeah so tom the final sort of section really i mean what do you think about big cats living wild in britain it really has it weighs on your mind, doesn't it? Something that has a strong interest that you sort of want to continue pursuing. Very much so. Initially, um, I was very enthralled and I got involved. Where we put those cameras up ourselves, um, I won't mention the exact place, I found places within the areas that we put these cameras, but much further in, I found areas where there were lots and lots of bones gathered together. It felt so big cat area. You could see how that they lived there. And there were stories of a group of walkers um, who were walking quite late one evening in this particular area. And they couldn't see what this animal was, but they heard it um, and it was very close. And they felt that it ushered them out all the way out back to the car park. Now, I've been all the way in there and I have found areas where I thought this is definitely where they've been. I mean, the bones at the time were quite old. So I think it was an area that they had used. And then there's there were other sightings in that area as well. I think young dad with his... Funny enough, same age as my boy, um, a four-year-old boy um, who was walking along the way that I used to come into that area, actually, because I'd come from a different way, not not the main entrance. Apparently, there was a sighting there as well by this gentleman who saw it clear as day. And obviously, he was concerned because he had his daughter with him. That was a, a Sandy Brown, Puma, Cougar, Mountain Lion type as well, that one. Wow. So that wasn't even a black one. Yeah, yeah, I remember it being very clear from, from what I'd heard. I didn't know it was mountain lion, though. Mm. Oh, wow, that's that's fascinating. So, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in that area. Then, as time has progressed, um, being a single dad, what I decided, really, was the best thing to do is to get my boy to the point where um, he starts school, which he does in September now, which is fantastic. I can focus more on, um, you know, I work full time, I have a business and um, I can now put more time into my work and more time into my hobbies as well. 
the plan now is to um, over the next kind of six months or so is to invest in um, some more high tech kit. And um, now I'm living in um, Whirl near Wedmore, near Banwell and Banwell is actually, again, an area which has had which has had quite a few sightings. I get told of them and it's in the newspapers as well. So I'm going to make a point of checking out those areas. Hmm. This is generally mid-northwest Somerset, uh, sort of below south of Bristol for people's um, geography lesson. You've got it. And so there's um, so rather than um, as much as I'd like to give up the day job and do this full time um, <laughs> at, <laughs> at this stage, um, I think as as a uh, keen hobby, it's um, it's something that I'm certainly going to take up more. I'm, I'm also like a, a, an avid fisherman. So I do spend time fishing in the middle of nowhere. Um, unfortunately, I haven't come across anything um that I've been aware of. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard certain things, but I, I, I couldn't say by any stretch that it's, um, that it's a big cat. But I would certainly be more aware now. Send any fishermen our way for the podcast. I have heard stories from fishermen as well myself. So, um, yeah, that's something that I could... Um, there's a few people I could point in your direction in regards to that, for sure. Excellent, yeah. And, and your son bringing him up, it presents a sense of adventure to a walk, doesn't it? Looking for tracks, at least. Yeah, very much so. And we, and like I say, I have no fear of them whatsoever. And um, if there was ever a situation that was tricky, you know, I, I feel I know what we'd be able to do anyway. I'd have him on my shoulders. And, but, but it's so unlikely. They are more scared of us than we are of them. You know, it's all about survival to them. They don't want to get involved with us. You know, it's, it's more a myth that these creatures with big teeth, it's folklore, isn't it, really? but it's very far from the actual reality of how these animals deal with their day-to-day lives. Right. Well, very good to hear from you, Tom, and very good to hear that the um, the emotional impact uh, and sense of intrigue and sense of discovery is staying with you, and it might pass on to a new generation. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you'd like to say? Anything else you don't think we've touched on? You're very much one for education on the subject in the right way. I am indeed, indeed, and I think I think people uh, learn best within their own time as well. So it's worth offering the information, um, and as you say, not being pushy about it. And then it may take them months or years to to finally catch up and and realise, ah, actually no, maybe maybe that is the case. And I think as the generations go on, and as you say as well, with technology as it is in various forms i think that there will be more uh, clear footage it's just um i think that that's just got to be played in the right way it, it doesn't need to be sensationalized you know i think it should be dealt with as this is what's going on here and then to have a better understanding of it great well good luck with um raising a son to get an interest in the great outdoors and possibly to take on the baton of big cat uh, investigating and I'm sure he will, actually. I'm sure he will. He's got an interest already, so so that's good news. Well, I hope to see you back in Gloucestershire sometime, or I'll call in in Somerset. And there's a Somerset Facebook group, we must remember, for listeners if they're interested. Yes. And we might do, when we can, a a podcast pub evening in Somerset sometime, so maybe catch you as part of that. Do let me know. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again, Rick. I think you're doing a fantastic job, and I think you've done, I think you've done amazingly in the way that you do this. Um, to be honest, 
Lovely. Well, thank you for those kind words. We'll we'll keep trying. We'll keep doing our best. And of course, it's a team effort. You know, the listeners give me a lot of support. And I know there's a lot of good ideas come through for listeners, which I try and pass on. And the guests, of course, are a crucial part of the show. So here's to the next year on our second birthday. So thanks, Tom. Absolutely. Pleasure. Okay, straight on to word of the week. And we have Corinium. That is the Latin Roman word for Sirencester in Gloucestershire. Sirencester is the next town east from Stroud, which has been the focus of this edition. The general vicinity of Sirencester and the adjacent Cotswold Waterpark area has also been a stronghold for big cat reports over the years, including some this year. If you're interested in Roman history, then the Corinium Museum in Sirencester is well worth a visit, and it's there that you can see signs of the Romans' interest in big cats. Prominent in the Corinium Museum is a striking replica of the Orpheus pavement. That is a large mosaic which was uncovered at the Roman villa in Woodchester back near Stroud. And Woodchester also has big cat reports frequently in the vicinity. This mosaic has an elaborate pattern design and it features several big cats including leopards. We've put a link to that under episode 58 on the refs and links page of our website. So how intriguing that leopards seem to be back in these very same Gloucestershire locations where they were depicted in Roman times, including the Sirencester or Corinium area. Coming up in our next few episodes, we have a podcast pub evening, which we've just recorded in Herefordshire, with three guests talking about their sightings and how they now investigate the subject. We will also be back in Ireland soon, And, in another edition, we will hear from people who have had big cat incidents this week as I speak in late August, including right outside the front door, it seems. Some of you may have read about this and seen clips in the press or on Facebook, so there will be more tantalising footage to discuss in that episode. Meanwhile, remember you can email me anytime with feedback, ideas and suggestions. The address is rick at bigcatconversations.com. Thanks also for kind reviews on the Apple podcast system. Righto, we're signing off now, so thanks again to our guest Tom, and thanks everyone for listening. Take care of yourselves, and bye for now.